So we're rocking then. We're on. Where's everybody, Ryan? <laughs> Everyone's pissed off. Who's this guy then? He's the new landlord. How y'all doing out there? My name's Scott McNeil. These guys called me up the other day because they had nothing better to do. But hey, I'm be on our podcast. We'll talk about wireless. So here I am, American McNeil, industrial Wi-Fi guy, the new, new landlord of the wireless podcast. With me, the incorrigible Ryan Dodds. While he's eating dinner, because he just got home, and I have yet to see a beer. Alan Blake, already drinking with me. It's gonna be a good day. <sighs> Let's get on with it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that has got to be the best intro um, you've ever, you've ever, we've ever heard. Let's be honest. What's well, the best one I've ever done? You know. Yeah. Decent. It's better than the shite that Dan comes out with. It is. Well, that's okay. also the only one I've ever done. So, you know, setting the bar pretty low. That's, that's well, to be honest, if you want. I mean, we could probably just get rid of Dan. And you could be the landlord now if you want. All right. I'm Wait, down with it. Well, you know, I, I got I got two coasters now. So, you know, I'm moving up in the world. So I might actually uh, qualify for the position. Uh, it's yeah. more qualifications of what Dan's got for a landlord. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we were talking about that last episode actually which is to be released and uh yeah we we, we questioned him at the end uh, if he actually had a license a legitimate license and if you had to take a test to get a license to be a pub landlord questions questions but anyway did he answer um nah, he doesn't answer anyway he just oh, kind of right, just well. has a blank look on his face half the time and someone else answers for him pretty much pretty much the way it goes then but uh so um so so dan gave you the keys of the illustrious pub he still doesn't trust me and ryan clearly i I don't understand why oh well because you invite guys like me and that's why oh you're inviting guys like us in wait so what what is it (laughs) which way around (laughs) i obviously haven't had enough to drink yet Oh, no, you haven't. So, so, Scott, welcome. Thanks very much for uh, coming on our show. No, um, hey, man. Much- uh, I listen to you guys all the time. So, I'm. I'm uh- oh, shut up. Yeah. Oh, stop. Yeah, all the stop time. 24 7. Are we constantly on repeat? Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, it really pisses my kids off because, like, God, Dad, can't we listen to something else? And I'm, you know, and I'm like, no, you're going to listen to these guys and you're going to deal with it. I know you're nine. <laughs> I don't care. Do you let them know, obviously, for the uh, parental guidance that kind of comes with it, that sometimes we might talk gibberish, we might sound a little bit incoherent, and there might be the odd expletive. Like right. Well, you know, word I'm, I'm comes trying to prepare and... them for the real world, because this is what the real world sounds like. Absolute and complete chaos. I'm glad you've said that, because Dan and Christian always say that, you know, they can't understand me or anything. So if you're saying that this is what it sounds like in the real world, that makes me feel a lot better i'm sorry what'd you say i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) do you actually understand ryan when he talks on our show scott uh the vast majority of it yes (laughs) 
So what does he say then? Because we, we we don't know. We're, we're struggling. Can you translate? Uh, well, what has he been I, saying? I I can't say that I remember it. I just as he's actually speaking, I I get most of it. But my accent is t- toned down quite a lot. But then as the recording goes on, and more alcohol slips its way in, I become more native. And I think the only person that actually truly understands me is Alan. Well, yeah, know, it's, it's interesting, you know, for the, the size of a country where you guys come from, just how different the accents are. And you're not that far apart as far as where you come from. Can, can you do accents, Scott? Because we've got a bit of a thing going that, you know, we're, we're um, like well, accents. depending on how much I've had to drink, I can speak fluent drunkenese. Um, and I, uh, I, I do pull off a uh, uh, country and southern. Um, but usually the more I drink, the more that comes out. Uh, sometimes I kind of have to fight it. Can, can so. you do a British accent? Terribly, yeah. Go on then, let's hear it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, <Ryko. laughs> <laughs> and that, that's that. That's it. There you go. Say, say, all right. Say something like, um, "Hello there. I'd like to have a cup of tea." <sighs> oh, this is gonna be terrible. Um, uh, hello. I'd like a tea, please. That's really not good. That's Australian right. twang in there. But that's yeah, it's, it, it's, I'll, I'll try to do one. I end up doing the other. And the last thing I want to do is sit there and, and if you're going to do Australian, you got to do the stereotypical throw another shrimp on a bobby type deal. And then you've just pissed off an entire confident, uh, con- continent. And I don't really want to do that because I like Australia. I don't want to piss them off. That, that, to be honest, we, we, we make it our mission to sort of piss somebody off at least. <laughs> <laughs> once in the episode so you know if we get it out over and done with in the first couple of minutes then great well hey man so, the day is young so so scott um gotta ask us what we're drinking you're you a landlord that, what did you say you've got to ask us what we're drinking because you're the oh. landlord oh being the landlord <laughs> today i am drinking red stripe one of my favorite jamaican lagers it's pretty damn nice. tasty how about you fellas what are you drinking today well, Ryan probably isn't drinking because he's a he's a puffer, and uh, no, I'm no, drinking. I am. I am. Oh, yeah? oh, go on then. Don't let me steal your thunder. You know, just because Christian's not here and <laughs> whatnot, I, I thought I'd go for the the rum and coke. It's a spice Captain Morgan's. Oh, got a little captain in you. <laughs> Sorry, the captain in him. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I obviously that commercial's not over there. <laughs> Uh, the commercial captain for Captain Morgan's rum, and he's all doing his stance, and this is get a little captain in you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are no captains inside me I, at all. I'm, I'm not saying there's any latent homosexuality in that commercial just, at all. Just but, some semen. Uh, you know, is <laughs> the captain. I think we should move on very quickly. <laughs> I'm drinking some um, more Italian lager, and it's actually one of my favorites. And it's um, oh, yeah? called Menebrea. All right. I've never had can... that. Hey? I've still never had that before. Oh, it's really nice. Where'd you really where'd nice. you get it from? Um Italy. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it comes from. Italy. Um, you, you probably get it from fucking Waitrose or something from the, the EU. That's all that's all the shops you have, isn't it? Waitrose. Well, we have um, other shops as well, like um Aldi's, Middles. So which one do you get it from then? Asda. Morrison's. Actually, I got it from Morrison's to be fair, because it was uh, yeah. two for two for four pound. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That. That's that's just like a grocery store, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's a bit like a Walmart, effectively. Oh, all right. 
Oh, yeah, 7-Eleven? No, not 7-Eleven. What's the other Target? Like a gas station. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I just corrected it's myself. Like, <laughs> Target. Slide on down to the ghetto and get some Italian beer. <laughs> Target? Oh, yeah. We have, yeah, st- so we have super targets. Sorry, stupid targets. We have super targets. Super. They're super. <laughs> what, are, what are they? Other than super. <laughs> well, it's like a super. It's like a super Walmart. It's a <laughs> store plus the whole grocery store, all crammed into one building. You buy guns? Do I buy guns? No. Can you buy guns from a stupid target? Um, oh, not from Target anymore. No. Uh, most WalMarts uh, have gotten rid of firearms, which is sad. I bought my first my first firearm at a Walmart, actually. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I find it completely and utterly crackers that you can go in for a loaf of bread and come out with an M4. Well, you can't exactly get an M4 at Walmart, but you can get a Remington 870 shotgun. Right. And so all the ammo you can carry. A little old lady goes in for some milk, bread, and eggs and comes out with a shotgun as well. Like, sure. That, that's completely yeah. bonkers. Shopping list in the U.S. would be need essentials like milk, bread, maybe some eggs, and some ammo. Well, yeah. the best thing is, is you go in there and you go and you get like a, oh, I don't know, a, a case of really shitty beer, let's say Bud Light, and you, throw, <laughs> and you throw in the cart. Then you go over to the clothing section and you get toboggans and ski masks. And then you go over to sporting goods and you say, I'd like that Remington 870 right there, please. And so then you leave with beer, ski mask, shotgun, and ammunition. <laughs> One-stop shopping. When you say Remington, all I think of is just a razor. Yeah, the electrical razors oh, that they sell. Oh. You can <laughs> the shavers. When you say Remington, that's all I. That's all I know. Remington is a gun manufacturer. So what are they doing making electrical shavers then? Two different companies. Well, you, oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, you could cut people's throat with it, I suppose. But that's true. <laughs> I mean, you know. Shoot. Shoot the hairs off my chin. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that would be some skill, that would be. But, um, anyway, let, let's, we've been uh, criticized, Ryan, about the fact that this, uh, this wireless podcast isn't technical from the get-go, that we just yeah, waste we, too much time talking we about never, ever stuff in beer. Be well, the, the problem is, is the first 30 minutes is, is actually usually the best 30 minutes. So. Oh, I tell you, then you're, you, you're, you're you my favorite guest technical. on this show now. Then you guys um, get into technical stuff, and I'm like, ah, that shit's boring. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, same here. That's, that's exactly how I feel. That's why I'm quiet towards the end of the podcast, as you can probably tell from previous episodes. That, but listen. That's usually when I, I, I tend to log off and go to bed. Yeah. And, uh, when, when it gets all technical. <laughs> I, you, think, you think I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> so, so we're missing the landlord's not in tonight because God knows where he is. Christian's just ferried off. Um, so Scott McNeil's with us. Scott, um, I guess for the benefit of uh, the one or two listeners that we usually get, I guess the other listener, because you're obviously right as well. Um, introduce yourself, buddy. Let us know um, who you are, what you do, and then we can kind of crack on with some of this uh, groovy technical quotation marks stuff. <laughs> yeah, sure, man. Um, obviously, my name is uh, Scott McNeil. I am uh, work for a company called GPA, Global Process Automation. They are a... Um, industrial manufacturing uh, integration company. So we uh, go in as a company, we go in and help uh, uh, industrial manufacturing places with their, their processes and, and automation, you know, so our automation engineers go in there and they program all the things that have real world impact. So 
the control systems that make valves open and close that control all robot arms to go up and down. Um, uh, in the case of say logging it operates their saws and, and, and all that kind of cool stuff. But I am on the, um, the OT network team. I'm, I'm a, I'm a senior network and security, uh, engineer. And, you know, our job is to do the IT infrastructure on that OT side when OT is operational technology. And so we do all of the IT stuff on the OT side. So we use a lot of the same equipment that standard IT guys use, but we actually have to play by a different set of rules. Um, and the standard IT universe, you know, privacy is king and protecting that, the, the, uh, um, all that data from, from outside sources and whatnot, that's, that's the, the, the top of the, the line there. Whereas in OT, it's that um, availability and integrity of the data that is by all means the most important. Security and, and privacy is, is all second nature because if the data doesn't make where it's going, then your process can stop. And if your process stops, that, that has multiple uh, uh, ramifications attached to it. Um, one, the process stops, so they're not making any product. They're not making any money. That really pisses them off. Um, and they really, 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 really like to tell you how much money they lose when they're not producing. Um, they kind of jam that down your throat and they, it's been my experience that like every place I go to, they just tack a couple more zeros onto that to try to make it more impressive. So now it's just getting silly, you know, we're not running, we're losing $53 trillion. I'm like, well, you make hats, shut up. You know, um, (laughs) you're full of shit. (laughs) that's what you want to tell it you know uh but then so i'm in there and then and and one of the big things well not say one of the big things but over time as as time has progressed industry typically is about 10 years behind um everybody else in technology uh they make these systems to last for quite a long time uh but over the past i would say 10 to 15 years the the want and the uh the need to get data analytics from all these machines and stuff has become like drastically more important, uh, especially over the recent decade with the advent of industry 4.0 uh, and how everything's progressing in that fashion. Um, and they're realizing too, what an important place wireless has in all of this. Um, and in some of these, some of these factories, man, I've been in paper mills that are in buildings that are 200 years old, you know, um, they, 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 the building started off as a munitions depot in the, uh, in the civil war. And then because it was such a large, well-built building, it's just been recycled over, over the centuries into different things. And, and so now on the, on the latest top level of it is a, is a paper mill that turns out brown stock to make cardboard boxes out of, you know? Um, and they're realizing it's becoming incredibly difficult to, uh, pull more cable in these places. They're running out of space. They're running out of room. Um, Scott, you you talk about um, the the uh, using wireless more mm-hmm. and more. Are you, are you talking about eight or two eleven, or are you talking about other wireless standards? Uh, primarily Linksys and Netgears, wherever we can put them. I'm just kidding. Alan <laughs> 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 was all that serious face. You know, I was like, "What, really?" <laughs> um, <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> you can't beat that new Netgear. It's awesome. The Nighthawk wins. You've seen the Nighthawk. Yeah. Well, the more antennas, the, the better it works, right? So it has like oh, six absolutely. antennas around it. It looks like one of those little aliens that can crawl across the table and get you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the scarier, the better. I think it's just going for effect. And it has got the coolest name ever. Nighthawk. Nighthawk. Yeah, Nighthawk. but how are you... Um... Which I, I think was a really crappy Sylvester Stallone movie too. You, but. The <laughs> was it? You've got the same <laughs> rooting, right? 
Do what? You've got the same router, haven't you? Moving Ruder? on. Anyway, tell me more about your. I have a router. Oh yeah, tell me oh, more. About, I was going to say, tell me more about yourself, Scott. Deflect the attention away from my router. <laughs> <laughs> well, we say router. You say router. I say router. <laughs> router. In router. England, a router is also well. In fact, a router is a a, a cutting tool, isn't it? Yes. In England. Yes. I mean, so is it the same for, in the US as well? Yeah, for wood and woodworking and whatnot. Yeah. Do you giggle and laugh when you hear the word router from, from the Brits and you go, oh my God, I love I these do. guys. Because when we hear router, we go, fucking dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> router, we ain't cutting wood up in her. <laughs> Can you say Birmingham really fast? Birmingham. No, I cannot say, say it really fast. Say, say, say uh, aluminium. <laughs> Aluminum? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you guys mispronounce it. I don't know what the hell's the matter with you. Uh, yeah, it's not as if we invented uh, the, the language or the dictionary no. or anything like that. I mean, it it's is not English as if English dictionary. was invented in England. I mean, you know. So back to the initial question. Sorry, because, you know, Alan decided to be a big girl. Um, <laughs> wireless. Are you, are you talking about traditional wireless in our sense of 8 or 11 or are you talking about other wireless protocols uh really um i tend to use you know my blog's industrial wi-fi shop i go by the industrial wi-fi guy when i say industrial wi-fi i'm i'm actually kind of uh grouping it all together both 802.11 access um as well as a lot of your other standards that are used for sensor networks so um 802.15.4 um and then some other proprietary ones like uh, LoRaWAN has its own open standard. Um, and there's actually a fair amount of companies who do um, wireless IO input and, and uh, things like that, that use their own, uh, they'll, they'll use the ISM bands, but they'll use their, their own protocols behind it. So it's proprietary, which is kind of cool because that amps up the security a little bit because it becomes that much harder. You can't really sniff that traffic if it's not on using the protocol that your, your sniffers are all hooked up to. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but if you're able to, to get some of their equipment, I guess you could manipulate it. I don't know. Um, and most production facilities that I've been to, I'm not saying all of them, you know, but, uh, most of the ones I, they're, they're all pretty much set off by themselves. So if, if there's some asshole walking around with a thing with a bunch of antennas sticking off of it with a sticker on it, it says Wi-Fi pineapple, it's pretty obvious. It kind of stands out. You know, it's it's not like some some punk kid sitting in a coffee shop thinking he's really cool and's got three antennas strapped to his laptop and trying to steal your AOL conversations while you're on the other side drinking your latte. So it's interesting because obviously you've just said you you bundle all of it together and and, and class it as industrial Wi-Fi. I find that a lot of people say they do industrial Wi-Fi. What they really mean is not in your case this is but what they really mean is they, they put EPs in warehouses yeah and yeah they, um, and they class that as in industrial now <clears throat> and it's not it's not it, it's it's not because i mean me and, me and alan have both done similar deployments but in different environments so al goes all over the world and puts things on tops of metal roofs and stuff and um, no i don't <laughs> I don't put things on. I don't put things on metal. What the hell is wrong with you? I'm a professional. For the sake of argument, you, you put, put them on a, you put them on a lasso and you just swing around and just wherever it lands is where it lands, right? 
to be to be fair, that's how that's similar to how I do my designs. You see, and and Scott will understand this because he's my rooting, tooting, shooting kind of guy. Because that's how I remember him. When right. I go into any type of warehouse, I get my fingers like this. Yeah, so I've got them ready. And what I do is I take them out of my pockets and I go, you're going to need an AP there, another AP there, another one there, another one. The, the, the proper sound effect is pew. Oh, is it? The problem is, Alan, that's the US sound effect. That. You've just pew. done that in the same room. So if I count all your pew, pew, pews, uh, you've got eight in the same room. Yeah, right? and uh, then they're all on the same channel. So what's your, what's your all problem? Right. Oh, yeah, I'm not that stupid. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but, Hello. Can't uh, catch me out. <laughs> but obviously... And they're, max, uh, they're at max power as well. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear it in the next county. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, screw the devices that are close to it. Let's talk to everything that's way, way far away. <laughs> well, well, exactly. That's how I do my designs. I mean, you know, then I get my Echo House survey out and everything's green, baby. And what's, what's even better is when you get an Omni antenna that is then mounted horizontally, but it's not dual polarity. And they're like, why isn't it covering this whole area? I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, when you go, when you, you're talking about uh, people infer it as, as warehouse Wi-Fi, it, it is, it's kind of funny because... I don't know. Most of, of warehouse Wi-Fi is distributing centers. Now, distributing centers can involve uh, robots and shit. Yeah, that's that's all cool and happy and automated fork trucks running around. And um, and there is a lot of complexity when supporting those kind of devices. But, um, you know, it's a completely different environment when you're talking about a manufacturing environment versus uh, a standard warehouse. Now, a lot of your manufacturing um, is done in gigantic warehouse buildings. Mm -hmm. But in your typical warehouse, you don't have, you know, uh, 45 tons of machinery, you know, cranking out injection molding and have it a, uh, an infrared cure at the end that that infrared cure happens to be blasting out, you know, so much non-Wi-Fi interference is destroying 2.3, 2.4 and 2.5. And you have no idea until you get some kind of spectrum analysis done. That's yeah, not yeah. your, that's not in your typical Walmart warehouse, you know? No, I'm I mean, previously, uh, I used to work for a real manufacturer who built trains. Um, mm -hmm. And I was, to be honest, I was actually amazed at how little automation there was. It's all still very much by hand. However, mm -hmm. the, um, you know, you've got these massive, I don't even know how many tons they are. Um, but what, I, I got, eh? 22. 22 tons, right. Each, each carriage for this sake is 22 tons. But I completely got the reference. What you were talking about was where people like to tell you how much money they make or how much money they lose. Right. Because um, I often used to get reminded that if the train doesn't leave, it's £250,000 for every train that doesn't leave. Right. And it still doesn't make you fix the job any quicker. No, but or, it makes them feel better say Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to light some kind of fire under your ass, trying to make it more urgent. Oh, I think I can type a little bit faster now. Thanks. Yeah. I so, just need that little bit of motivation right there. It's not going to make me any extra money, but by God. So do you, do you see more of a shift um, from non-802.11 protocols towards 802.11? Because you mentioned Industry 4.0, which is a big of a buzzword in the UK. It's a, it's a buzzword here too. And, it's and they're, they're starting to utilize IOT devices and 
they're now talking about 5G, CBRS, Wi-Fi offload, mm. all that sort of stuff. So what 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 are you seeing as being the main driving? Is it converting away from these proprietary protocols to 8 or to 11? Or are they actually adopting more of a 4G, 5G standard? All right. Um, no. Every, every site's different, okay? Um, and, and some of these types of manufacturers are half their shit's indoor, half their, uh, their shit's outdoor, you know, and in places like that, CBRS, you know, um, uh, uh, private uh, cellulars, what, what we refer to it here, um, that makes a lot more sense. Um, I know a couple guys who specifically do private cellular and they try to do it either as a Wi-Fi replacement or as um, a separate backhaul for their Wi-Fi deployment, um, which is fine. You know, there, there's more than one way to skin a cat, but... 802.11 is not going away anytime soon because of the sheer volume of the devices out there that support it. Um, and, you know, yes, they're starting to get more speed out of, out of uh, cellular and whatnot, but um, you still can't come close to the speeds that you're getting out of local Wi-Fi in the grand scheme of things. You know, you're not pushing multiple gigs across cellular signal, even in 5G. Um, I was just about to say, typically industrial applications, well, I'm using the term, industrial applications but realistically they, they tend to be really really small applications depends the on the application. they have to be real time so they're simple the latency can't they're just be... circuits that's what they are they're not yeah, typically they're transmit... not always applications they're actually the communication between devices is literally quite simple in terms of it's like binary on off to sense right and to transmit the data from one place to another has to be usually has to be achieved within such a, a short space of time. Yeah, usually ten to fifteen milliseconds, isn't it? Yeah, ten to fifteen milliseconds is your is your is your general rule of thumb fault tolerance. It also depends on the application. So if you're looking at machine to machine communication, that's one thing. But if you're looking at um, Wi-Fi access, you know, in the facility specifically for maintenance engineers and um, and process engineers and the guys who actually take care of the equipment, it's a little bit of a different animal. So instead of having stationary machines where they have to go to to be able to look at the diagnostics of a machine uh, and, and get into it and possibly change some programming or to look up schematics or whatnot, they can now use tablets, go free, free roam wherever they need to go. They're not restricted to one workspace, so they don't have to go work on it, come back, look some up, go, yeah. go back to where they were and hope they remembered all that shit or go print it out and take it with them. They can have it live in their hand. Another trend I am starting to see is uh, needing that bandwidth to support um, things like Google Glasses so that guys on site can throw these on um, with a headset and then actually interact live with the OEM support from Italy or OEM support from, from Sweden or wherever that machine originated from. Um, and so in order to support uh, that real-time uh, video and audio throughput, you have to have a fair amount of bandwidth. Um, and you have to have decent connections. You know, it starts, you're starting to need that same quality on the factory of wireless on the factory floor that you have in the office because your applications are starting to get more demanding. Now, again, I'm not referring to machine to machine communication. I'm, I'm just referring to other um, uh, applications in and around uh, the machinery that are involved in doing whatever it is that that particular plan does. So, so with that, do you, I think I know the answer to this one already, but I'll ask it anyway. But with the different protocols, do you often have to put equipment in there that converts from 802.11 to a non-standard protocol and then backwards so that 
laptops and things can com- com- not not wireless wise i mean there's there's wireless conversion of of um uh industrial wired protocols yes you know um you know I, that that's all the time that's you know wireless heart does you know is, is a big part of that um so you, your two big industrial protocols that i see converted most of the time are um profibus and um ah shit i forgot the other one because i'm not a process guy but there's two of them Profinet. Anyway, and and uh, Pro, well, the Profibus, Profinet, yeah, thank you. Um, and they get converted okay. back and forth. Uh, well, they don't get converted, do they? How do they well, get converted? And and I'm asking you this because I work with it. They get converted to Ethernet IP. No, they they don't. They actually are a protocol. They actually have just well, have an Ethernet header added to it. They're encapsulated. They're, so. Yeah. Well, I don't think they even are that. I mean, I think they hate the term that you think that it's like um, Profinet over Ethernet. It's actually a protocol in its own right that actually just has a layer two header, which is an Ethernet header, which allows it to right. be switched. That's what Profinet is. Um, and, and I say this just because I've worked with it recently and it's been kind of fun. Um, uh, yeah. Look yeah, at you. it's been interesting. Guy. Hey? Look at you, smart guy. I know. This is kind of where I actually... He sits in the dark and he says nothing. Is... And then every now and then he comes out with just something that's <laughs> this is, remotely This is where useful. I actually kind of prove my worth and value to this podcast program. Because now I can actually talk technical to people who maybe want to listen to me. Um, but I want to take a step back just quickly before we talk about protocols, I guess. Because um, sure. you're talking earlier about... Um, in Wi-Fi world, most of the actual demand for our designs are based upon the client types in terms of their use cases. In the industrial manufacturing, and I understand it as in the industrial world, it's more dictated by the fact that the automation and all the processing, that dictates the solution, that dictates the protocol, that dictates the wireless solution potentially and all the communication that's going to be used, right? Is that, is, is that a fair assumption? Or? I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, but, you know, uh, that's all internal to that machine the, the, that they're, they're producing. Most of what I do is getting people to that machine, you know, to the workstations that then control that machine and, and talk to the PLCs and, and the, the DCS controls for it. So would you then add the radio that's required in that case to support the wireless communications such as, you know, Zigbee, wireless heart? That, that depends upon, uh, that really depends upon the machine um, and, and, and what the, that individual uh, vendor manufacturer specs out for that device. But I mean, I guess I need to know the content, the context of, of what you're talking about. And again, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. So um, most of what I have worked with, other than the, the general Wi-Fi on the floor access, is sensor networks. So, you know, it's a, a ton of just different little sensors spread out all over the place coming back to a, a convergence point, either by, by Zigbee or sometimes Bluetooth. Um, and then, you know, I'll come back to a, a central collection point and then into the network and, and all the data goes up um, and everybody analyzes it and everyone's happy because they can do preventive maintenance and whatnot. Um, there are cases that I have dealt with with wireless heart in specific, specific wireless heart radios that, that are... Um, they're already pre-configured. So it's just kind of a, 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 a plug and play for me. Um, but again, it, it all depends on use cases, but more often than not, it's, it's sensor type networks. You know, the, I, I personally haven't seen a lot of direct machine to machine communication over wireless come in from uh, uh, a vendor directly installed so that one, one massive a piece of equipment is talking to another massive a piece of equipment over a wireless link. 
because typically they all hire they all, all, all hardline that communication because you can't match the latency um, yeah. values across that that copper cable um, uh, over wireless yet. You know when you're talking less than a millisecond latency, wireless hasn't quite gotten there yet. So. No, I agree. And, and it, it kind of begs the question, and we spoke about this in previous episodes about the fact that, well, why aren't they using 802.11, for example? Um, why isn't that more prevalent? Because it's cheap. 2.4 chipsets are cheapest chips these days. Um, it is. can get you Absolutely quite right. far, and that can actually be more sufficient, more than enough for some of the kind of low data requirements of some IoT devices. But they seem to stick with these, these low-powered kind of low... Um, bandwidth requirements with basically zero security. And I guess the security in itself could be, and, and I'll probably get my ass kicked here by someone like Phil Morgan by saying, well, the security in itself is the fact that it's like no one uses it. As in, we're the only people that use this particular protocol. It's not well adopted. It's a bit like Mac books back in the day, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Right. Apple Macs weren't even that prevalent. So Windows right. operating systems were the ones that got hacked all the time. Right. Well, yeah. When you have 80% no, of the market share, you're the bigger, you're the bigger target. That's so how no that works. I don't give a shit about hacking Macs. But right. nowadays it's kind of the other way where Mac OS is probably, you know, just hacked it just as much. So again, that, 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 that's probably a really bad example of security. But Security through obscurity is usually... Oh, that's that's a great. That's it. That's the phrase I was looking for. Security. Of course you were. Of course you were. Obscurity. I think it's a bit more sinister than that. I I, I do think it's a little bit more sinister than that because if you take uh, Siemens PLC machine, right, they're naturally going to want to manufacture their own parts, use their own proprietary shit. Do you know why? Because they can charge an absolute fortune. Absolutely. If they start to use more more um, widely used sort of off-the-shelf stuff, um, what happens is the replacement parts uh, market for the likes of Siemens is massive. And, you know, if you need a part for that machine, you can only go to one place to get it. Yes, you can get it through resellers. And a really simple part that you know you could buy from another company would cost you £2,000, $2,000, whatever, when in fact it could cost you $10. Um, if right. it was uh, a more widely used. And I mean, I remember uh, there was a cable we had to buy once and it was a really simple serial cable. And I think it was, I think it was something like 400 pounds. It was like, well, we, we can just use this serial cable, right? Oh no, no, it has to be this cable. And I was like, well, why does it have to be that cable? Cause it has to be, absolutely has to be. Well, it was just a serial cable, right? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, it's 400 quid. Ridiculous. And they bought it. They bought it. So, but I, I think that's the reason why the <clears throat> manufacturers like that still say, well, we're just going to use our, our own proprietary. They've got a big enough market share within the industry to say, you know what? Well, we can't make these decisions because our customers still stay with us. And it's like you say, um, we're, we're about 10 years behind. Um, so but They're operating so- in unlicensed bands. So what does that matter about the wireless Well, 10 years behind in the technology base, you know, so that, that's what I'm referring to. So when you go and you look at their, at their overall networking to, uh, technology, it's about 10 years behind where you would be in a standard IT outfit, be it, be it yeah. private or public sector. But if you think about it, I mean, these, these, these machines, these computers are so expensive that you, you, these factories buy them once. Yeah, they have that initial outlay of millions upon millions for just a handful of machines. Let's face it. Um, 
they work and then over the over i mean you got to think factories and things regularly don't change their machinery unless there's a process change unless there's a new, unless there's a new way of doing things right you look at the best part of 15 years before somebody says actually we can actually save money by changing the machine and doing it more efficient so what happens is these big companies tend to cash in on the on the repairs the the support contracts the additional parts and it's basically a big massive cash cow because you know, a big factory isn't going to say get stuff siemens i'm going somewhere else because they know for a fine fact they're not going to replace everything in their factory well i mean um those those conversions from say Siemens to Siemens to another manufacturer or to another brand, say Rockwell um, or Yokogawa or whatever it may be, um, it's not just the cost of the equipment. It's a huge cost of time and manpower to do the conversion of these automation systems from one brand to another. So um, I've seen it firsthand because that's half of what our company does is is they do these these conversions from system to system. So Rockwell to ABB or or Siemens to uh, to Rockwell, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, and so these projects are, are um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and they take place over the course of two to three years, you know, because it's a mass amount of systems that are integrated into everything that you then have to replace and then figure out how to make all of that new shit work, how the old shit worked, but make it better. So it's, it's, fortunately, I'm not a process engineer. That's, that's a whole different breed breed of human being right there. Yeah. I think often finding the downtime from, from an IT perspective to change this equipment out. I mean, I don't know what's out in the US, but most factories and manufacturing facilities have factory shutdowns mm-hmm. at, at some part of the year, um, but it's not a factory shutdown. So a factory shutdown suggests that the factory shuts down, everyone goes home. It doesn't. It's a factory shutdown that never actually shuts down because right. Well, some parts of it may, may may have an outage. Um, yeah. It's rare that you have a, a full facility outage, and usually when you have a full facility outage, it's because they're working on power, and so people ain't going to have any power. So, like, all right, we'll just shut the whole thing down then because they got to fix our power yeah. or whatever. Yeah, but you do a change or do a bug upgrade. Sorry, code upgrade to fix the <laughs> bug. Bug upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're probably right because you upgrade from one bug to another. Really, really. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but isn't that the risk that, that maybe plants don't want to take? That they're worried that if you change something and it doesn't work, or there are problems in terms of its up down operational cost for that. Oh yeah, that's a huge risk. That's why the sales guys really gotta really gotta make their case. I've seen networks in facilities like this where each area has its own separate network. Mm-hmm. So you might have a body and welding shop and they're completely separate to the warehouse and the yep. stores. Um, and if the warehouse goes off, the body and welding shop can continue to keep going and going and going. And what happens is you tend to really have to make that same change 12 different times and you have 12 different windows of which to be able to do it in. It's awful. Management of that that many islands of isolation is such a pain in the ass, and you know that's referred to as air gapping. You know, uh, separate everybody by their own individual networks, and people are like, "Oh, I'm secure. I'm air gapped." Well, bullshit. You know, uh, if it's one thing Stuxnet proved was that air gapping no longer works. Sorry. So, so here's a question for you then, Scott. How do you design 
for industrial Wi-Fi in terms of providing the wireless communications uh, or network communications or security, anything that's required to provide the well, whole solution. I'd imagine, Scott, that you don't just do Wi-Fi, right? You, you, I bet you underpin everything. So realistically, you, you do the switches, the routing, the security, and the Wi-Fi. Yeah, typically when we're going in, we, we do the entire OT network or we, we do um, we um, uh, upgrade whatever OT network they have. Um, you know, so um, sometimes they want to keep what they've got or they just want to know what they have to see if they need to replace it. Um, I do a lot of, um, of um, just standard passive surveys going through to let them know what they do have um, and let them know whether it's, it's worth a shit and good enough anymore um, and, and provide them with a, with a, with a report with my, with my professional opinion. So that means that there's, there's no foul language in it because it's professional. Um, you know, but uh, I do get a, a fair amount of opportunity to go into uh, greenfield environments and, and and whatnot. So that's a lot of fun. But regardless, I do a lot of spectrum analysis. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing that I, I preach by in a lot of these things because of of uh, so many wireless problems that are solved by understanding what's going on in their airspace based off of the machinery that's in their facility. I was going to say the interference you encounter surely mm -hmm. mustn't be. Eight or two eleven related. It must be. It's machine. It's non Wi-Fi based interference. It's machine yeah. generated noise. Yes. That's why he's using a spectrum analysis, right? No, but what what I meant was he's not he's not typically looking for. So for argument's sake, if he had like a house psychic, you know, with this interference detection built in, it's not going to pick up any of his interference, is it? Yeah, well. No, but it's not going to have it in the dictionary, is what See, I, mean. I don't. I don't use the sidekick, so. Um, what do you I'm, use? I'm, I'm one of the few people who's not an Echo guy. Um, do you use Spectrum XT? No, I use I use the MetaGeek suite. Um, yes. Oh, okay. I, I use I use Channelizer. Um, oh man. And uh, Channelizer is awesome, um, and I like the way it presents its data. It's easy for you to then take uh, grabs out of that um, for reports um, and analysis. So the the layperson who doesn't understand that, you can say, Hey, look, red is bad. Look at all this red. That's bad. You know, um, and then I finally, um, <laughs> after calling on your show uh, a while back and bitching about uh, uh, the uh, MetaGeek not have not doing their, their 900 meg uh, Wi-Spy adapters anymore, I finally found one on eBay. And uh, nice. So now I'm back in the business of doing some, some 900 meg uh, Wi-Fi spectrum analysis or wireless spectrum analysis. So got got some really cool captures the other day on uh some uh 900 meg radios uh doing some testing what do they look like i mean i've never seen anything sub 2.4 captured at all ever and i've been um, in this industry for years well i realize this is a podcast but i can probably share my screen and show you why don't you describe it <laughs> <laughs> describe okay. it like like like, what are you wearing? 900 megahertz. <laughs> no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Start doing some heavy breathing too, okay? <sighs> 900 meg. Have you oh, not, you, you disabled not, my screen sharing, so I can't even show you, you bastard. <laughs> well, when we had Ryan Woodings on the show from Medicaid, didn't he say that providing he had enough sort of 
Yeah, his. It, I, I get his whole point. If he, uh, if he the, has the, the, the 900 megahertz adapter, that he would put it back into production. Yeah, because he he has all the plans for it and everything like that, and and that's awesome. He has the the plans for the boards and everything. But you know, I, I totally get that he doesn't have the the monetary demand for the production of those because the whole thing is he wants to make money. That's what that's why you have a business is to make money. If something's not making money, you don't sell it, right? Um, but you know, 900 megahertz isn't going away. You know, if, if anything, it's becoming more prevalent for sensor networks. It really is, isn't it? Because the 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 lower the, the sub one gig stuff, the S one G stuff, is becoming a lot more prevalent now. In it, it really is. I mean, and, um, it, it kind of went. It, it it peaked for a little while, then it went down, and now now it's coming back up. Um, because why is that? Because it's a useful um, uh, spectrum to use because Wi Fi is getting so crowded. And the, the difference on your penetration values with 900 meg versus, versus 2.4 and 5 gig are dramatically more. I mean, why do you think, you know, cell phones are down in the 800s and, and upper 900 megahertz? Because of those, granted, they're using different protocols, so they get much higher data rates. But, yeah. it, you know, that's why you can sit there on your phone in the middle of a, of a high rise and still get signal, um, you know, even though that, that building doesn't have a data system, you know. Yeah, but if you've got Wi-Fi bringing out new spectrum six gig for example um, well your, your got, penetration value on six gigs even less so well it is but i guess where i'm going with this was um you know when you're dealing with um communications that are close proximity doesn't matter that's why that's where i was going to go with it well it can especially when you're 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 in a facility where everything is is uh, steel you know and so, so then you're getting just crazy reflection on everything and and then you know your whole memo theory gets blown to shit because uh, it's it's way too much reflection memo. you say memo we say memo memo did you remember Tatum. them trainers do you remember them trainers psyker seeker what were you were you a psychic guy or a seeker guy you remember no no oh shit i'll edit this bit out well i think as well with, with the application that you have of the devices, the transmitters tend to be wrapped inside of a massive metal box. They, they tend not to be sort of onshored under the almost like a self-contained unit. Yeah, 900 meg can punch right through that, you know, yeah. uh, easily. And and all these sensor networks are low data rate anyway, so it's not like you're asking to try to push a gig across it. You're, you're pushing kilobits, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and even then you're, you're only doing it in intervals. You're not, it's not a constant stream. So that, that device may be only, only transmitting once a minute, once every five minutes depends on, on, on the, the use case for it. If it's a tank level sensor, it might not be reporting in, but once every five minutes, you know, so you, um, you personally would be a prime candidate for the new CWNP industrial stuff. So have you, have you done any of those certifications yet? Scott, 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 you there? Scott, hello. I think you've lost him, Ryan. I think you've scared him when you talked about certifications you mean, and qualifications. You mean, you mean this one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be taking that. I'll be taking that exam uh, probably the next month. But I was fortunate enough to, I got contacted by uh, good old Tom over there at CWNP. And I got to take the beta exam for the CWIIS, whatever. God, it, the, it's like this long. Um, the oh shit, I got to go look it up now. So you got CWICP, CWIIP, yeah, CWICP. Right. Okay. Um, so I got the to take the beta. 
the connectivity version. Correct. Okay. Um, the connect uh, the IoT connectivity professional. Um, I got to take the beta exam and passed it. Um, so well, I actually have that. You'll know that from this show, we don't hold our punches. We hold no affiliations to anybody. And if someone's done a shit job, we'll tell them. And if they've done a good job, we'll tell them. So in your honest opinion, how is the course written? How is it delivered to somebody that actually lives and breathes this sort of stuff day and day? Because as far as I'm concerned, this is written by somebody that, by a body of people who spend their time looking at 8 or 211. So in terms of content and how it relates and whether it's actually right, how okay. is it? For the, for the ICP, I didn't have a study book because it was the beta exam. So I was given exam objectives and, you know, released me to the hounds and said, you know, you have a week to, to study this on your own with no study guiding, um, you know, good night and good luck. Um, so I can't really speak to that. Now the CWSA, as far as it's, it's the, the book for the exam. Um, I think it was well-written. I think, uh, the content was, was right on as far as an administrative level certification for getting into and learning the, the basics of a lot of these protocols. So I think, um, the CWSA is kind of right on par with the CWNA. Um, the difference here, there's a lot of shared content between the two, but, um, some of the analytics that are in the CWNA are not in the CWSA and that content is replaced with, um, the IOT content, um, which makes perfect sense if that's the direction you're going. Uh, so the CWSA, which, you know, I was doing the practice exams and whatnot and I was, I was, I was acing those, but then again, I, 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 well, I've been in the field for five, six years before, before I started looking at that. Does that make sense? So if it's, you know, if, if you're an auto mechanic and you've been an auto mechanic for, you know, fi you know, five, 10 years, and then you go and read a book to take a test on it, you already know it because you've been doing it for five, 10, 15 years. It's really just learning how uh, they want the responses to their questions. And when you get practice tests, it makes that easy. So given that CWMP have been getting a bit of bad press about the quality of their books compared to the old David Coleman books and the Cybex stuff and mm -hmm. the sheer cost of how much they are. And they are expensive. I think I saw a shipping cost of $155 for a book. I don't know where the hell that was going. My shipping cost for mine was 10. I'm in North Carolina. Our, they should just follow our shipping process. Just put a second class stamp on it. <laughs> <laughs> it eventually gets there. Whether you'll get it in time to pass the exam, I don't know. But we'll fulfill an obligation of actually sending it out. To be honest, I, I, I genuinely do believe that you know, Royal Mail saw Christian's lack of postage and went, I have no idea what to do with this. They found some little bloke and said, listen, mate, can you jump on a canoe and can you paddle across the Atlantic Ocean? If you don't get there, it's fine. This guy hasn't really paid a lot. If you get there, great. Pass it on. If you on get and... there, you're in the Guinness World Records. <laughs> for I'd imagine that's how Royal Mail have sort in of... In a canoe. I'd, I'd imagine... It, that's how Royal Mail have got it there. Eventually they've paid some little bloke to paddle across the Atlantic. Well, normally they actually make their sender pay the rest of the postage. That, that's typically how they would do it, right? They'd say, look, we've, they'll send you a message to say, we've got a, 
a letter for you or a parcel. Um, but Let's, the sender didn't pay enough. Look, of, man, of you got to do what everybody else here does. You don't order it from them. You order it from Amazon, for God's sakes. It's not on Amazon. Yeah, that's the problem. It will be. Oh, we can't order from .com, by the way, can we? I didn't think we could. So we can only order from oh, .co.uk. Oh, I didn't think about that. Because we still well, get some shipping. CWNP is in Raleigh, which is two hours up the road from me. Oh, go and have a look. Go and say, go and say, oh, um, you know, so, so it was, it was 10 bucks to get mine shipped to me. All right. Well, how much would it cost to ship it from your house to us then? It would cost less, wouldn't it? Well, I, I, I don't know. Can I use one of these magic stamps? Yeah. Yeah. Give it a go. <laughs> let's, let's tell you what, let's, actually, let's, Christian let's prove the theory. Yeah. <laughs> so Christian said, I mean, he, he knows the ins and outs of everything to get something for cheaper or free. All right. He you know states, what? and he's he's trialing this right now. He states that if you write on the envelope a return address, yeah, but actually the return address is really where you want to send it to, and you pop it in the mail or the post box, depending on which country you're from, and you don't put the right postage on. What they do is say, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to send it back to the sender. The sender is actually the destination that you wanted to go to. So what this pikey has done <laughs> is he's taken the envelope in which I sent him the podcast sticker and it has his address on it. Okay. He's written on the back of the address, <laughs> on the back of the envelope, my address. He has now enclosed something inside. He's sellotaped it back up and he's popped it back in the post box. So very soon we shall find out whether it actually makes it here or if it doesn't. Well, you know, they didn't really have a choice on this one because there is no return address. So did, did they make you pay for the postage? They did not. What? But I imagine it went somewhere and sat there for probably three to four weeks and they just got tired of looking at it and said, fuck it, let's send it. I, I, I do believe he sent them out about two months ago. <laughs> and you received it this week. The Correct. Week commencing. Both of them came this week. We commence in the 12th of October, you received it. So effectively, it's been sat waiting like QoS. It's just been in the best effort queue. Correct. Waiting to be sent. And so that's how Royal Mail determined that it's not about how much you've paid. It's how long you're willing to wait. Basically <laughs> what they're saying. If this is Christian, if he could wait, if he could save 10 pence, he would quite happily wait weeks. <laughs> 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 well, it's only a beer man at the end of the day, so it's not like it's, uh, I don't know, anything critical that you're waiting on, like a paycheck. <laughs> a coaster, sir. Oh, a coaster. Oh, we call them beer mats. <laughs> we, spent, we spent God knows how long trying to work out what the Americans called them. We just couldn't remember. <laughs> a coaster. I kind of like beer mat better, to be honest with you. It's a little bit more descriptive because, you know, coaster. What's coaster? What do you put on it? Your beer. Well, um, you put a cup of coffee on it or a cup of tea because these are so nice. I don't want to put anything on them. Oh, they are, they are on display here in my office. Do you know what we, we, we're going to be doing soon? I'll give you an exclusive. We, we might actually branch out and do some uh, merchandise, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like socks and pants. Oh, pants is another thing. So pants in England is like, um, I don't know what you call them. Boxer pants. shorts, trunks. Eggs. No, but you call oh, them underpants. trousers. You call them trousers. We we pants trousers. in the US is trousers, right? Which is things that you put over your legs. We call those pants. <laughs> yeah, but in England we call pants briefs. 
trunks, whatever you... You, you say we, briefs or trunks, and I think underwear. Yeah, that's oh, what we, Pants or underwear. You've got this the other way around, mate. What? Hang on. What, what have I got the wrong way around here? Pants well, is underwear. If you're in America, you're dancing in your pants. You're dancing in your trousers. You're in your underpants. I, no, I, no, say, no, no. I say underpants. So, you know, yeah. or, we, under, so, or, or underwear. So, Undergarment. pants, if you Undergarment. just said... If you just said pants. If you just say pants, I'm thinking like khakis or a pair of jeans. Right. <laughs> In English. Perhaps khakis. some slacks. <laughs> khakis is such a different term in England. As well. was, I've khakied me pants uh, before. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was in my car, but we'll not go there. So, okay. So pants in England is underpants. Okay. And so pants, the in the US is trousers. So so the merchandise that we're going to be bringing out is socks underpants. Would you wear them? And would you be willing to display them so that we could see you wearing them? <laughs> huh? Just to show that you're kind of, look at me, guys. I've got the socks on and the underpants. Yeah! I, I would the socks without a problem. <laughs> underpants, I'm on the pants on there, fellas. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would wear them. I just don't know if I would really display them to anybody because that would not be pretty. I think the only person that could really give these to is somebody like Matt Starling. He'll, he'll, he'll pause in them, wouldn't he? Yeah. You know, honestly, it's the wireless pubcast. You need to have beer koozies, man. Beer what? A beer koozie. What's a beer koozie? Beer koozie. Like, I have one with my company name on it. I will put my red stripe in it, and it will keep it nice and cold. It's a oh, sock, isn't it? It's kind of like a sock, but it's made out of foam. Yeah, what do the Aussies, Aussies call them something else, don't they? They call them... Um, we call them beer koozies. Yeah, I think the Aussies call them something else as well. But we, the thing is, it doesn't get that warm in England to kind of really warrant a koozie. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it, it gets hotter than Gorilla Balls here, so, you know. So you're out of where, North Carolina, did you say? Uh-huh. Is that, oh, nice. Is that Wilmington or Mount Pleasant way? Or Wilmington. Wilmington We're on the coast. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So you get all the hurricanes. We get a fair amount of them, that's for sure. So how does that how does that feel every year when you kind of have to batten down the hatches and you think to yourself, oh, great, is this going to kind of veer off to the left or is it just going to turn into a well, hurricane? you pay a lot of attention. And to be honest with you, if it's, a, if it's a tropical storm or a cat one, we're not really in the grand scheme of things all too concerned about it. But when it when starts, it, when it starts getting up to a strong cat too, that's when we we pack the fam up and and head out. Yeah. So so category two then obviously there's cat five categories here. So two is pretty serious then for, for you guys. Yeah. Once you get starting to get to a strong cat too, then that means some shit's going to get torn up and you need you need yeah. to go. So three, yeah. four, you think to yourself, hell, I'm now, I'm gone. Now back in my single days, you know, I, I we you know. Uh, some good friends of mine owned a bar and we just hunkered down in the bar and we were like, yeah, this is awesome because power went out. We got to drink all the beer. Or it'll go bad. And he's going to ride it <laughs> off anyway. So, um, awesome. yeah. So we, we rode out a cat three at a bar and that, that was good stuff. So you pack up your entire family and move somewhere else until the wind goes. Yeah. We pack up all our important stuff. Everything else is insured. So, so uh, this is for some reason, right? This, this was mentioned on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, is that from my perception, everybody's house in America is wooden. Is that right? Do you, you typically have timber houses? Well, stick built. That's what we refer to as stick built, but yeah. Why? 
because it's um, an abundant renewable resource. If there's one thing the United States has is a shitload of wood. Well, if you've, <clears throat> if you've got to continue to uh, pack up your family and shift out to another house or a hotel or something like that, mm -hmm. would you not just be better off buying a brick house? Um, I actually grew up on the beach, uh, living second row on the beach. And when Hurricane Hugo came through, when, uh, when I was living on Oak Island, um, there was a two, about a two mile stretch of houses that were first, second, and third row that were just gone. There was absolutely zero trace of them ever existing. They were just gone. So what was so, a brick built on? Well, it, it, it didn't matter what they were built of. There, there were old houses that were all wood. There were newer houses that were kind of built of composite materials. And there were, and there were, there were some, some houses that were sat further back that were actually brick houses gone, but you know? So when you're, when you're, chances. when you're exact coastal, it doesn't matter, man. You know, a 12, 15 foot storm surge, that's going to, I don't care what you make it out of it. It's, it's heading out to sea. You might as well, just, you might as well just be a boat basically. You yeah. Know, you know, just have just yeah, that at uh, that point, live on a boat and just scoot your boat up the waterway a little ways and stick some oars out the window and go. Okay, kids, we're moving. <laughs> we're moving. <laughs> we're gonna go south. Go faster. Where it's warmer. <laughs> Home insurance in America must be absolutely extortionate. Depends on where you live, but it can be high. Um, if you live on on one of the barrier islands, you can guarantee your your homeowner's insurance is gonna be really really high. Mine's not bad at all, but you know I'm four or five miles inland. No. This is the problem, right? So this is one of the reasons why I couldn't live in America. So in England, right, we have this shop called Aldi. And it has this notorious middle aisle where you can find fucking anything, right? <laughs> you can find a pair of Crocs next to a chainsaw. And the prices are unbelievable. So I, I wait, wait, wait. Do you say Aldi? A-L-D-I? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've got those. Oh, so have you got the, the crazy middle aisle? Yeah. And all kinds of just random shit is in there. It is. So you can, you can be walking up, you know, with, with, with your chicken and what else and say, oh. And, and there's a lawn chair. Hey. But for, for 20 quid, I'll, I'll take a chainsaw for 20 quid. Like, I really will. So I got a fan right next to me that came, that came from Aldi that was right next to the frozen burritos. I mean. <laughs> well, this is the thing. So, the, like, I, I get a load of shit off the missus all of the time. Because I'll go to Aldi and she'll come back and she'll go, what the fuck do you need a chainsaw for? And I'll go, what? It, it was on sale. Like, so if I went to America, like we were talking about the shops before, I'll go in, I'll come out with a chainsaw and a fucking shotgun. Like, it, it's dangerous. Now you like, won't. You won't be given the license because you're British. Duh. I thought they gave licenses to everybody. No. Oh, what? Uh, 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 uh. That you don't give you a gun. Buy any kind of firearm, you have to go through background checks and whatnot. It's not like we're just randomly giving away like popcorn. Hey, welcome to Walmart. Have a Colt 45. And by that mean I'm referring to the gun, not the drink. Or you can have a Colt 45 with your Colt 45, so you can have some malt liquor and a handgun. I think Ryan's got to go. Um, is it bedtime for you, son? I was trying to be polite, Al. We've got a guest, right? I was trying to be polite. <laughs> when have you ever been polite with any Don't guests on this show? I mean, at the end of the day, he, he doesn't even turn up for his guests. At the end of the day, he didn't even turn up for Jim Varger, if you remember. I mean, how rude was that? He's not, he's not the type of person I like to sully myself with. You know, he's like, he's sort of like lower class, if you will. So I just, I just thought I'd give him a bit of a wide berth. <laughs> and I know for a fine fact he's listening to this. So I just hope you're listening. Thanks for the t-shirt though, Jim. Oh, did you get a t-shirt? Where's mine, Jim? Jim? Hello, Jim? 
Jim? Bastard. Anyway, I, I do have to shoot, but I will leave you in the very capable hands of Mr. Blake. He will look after you. Very well. I'm sure. Make sure that he doesn't drink all the beer and you have to chuck him out at 10 o'clock because Boris will come knocking on the door. Yeah, but we're gonna go by. We're gonna go by Scott's ten o'clock, which is still oh yeah, four or five you hours got plenty of time. I suppose. I suppose that's a that's a bit of a workaround. So right, there you go. Let me know See? how that goes, mate. And if you need bailed out, um, I'll turn my phone off. <laughs> well, well, why don't you listen to the podcast afterwards once it's been edited, and then you'll find out what happens, Ryan. All right, fair play. That should be good stuff. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you very no, much. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Ryan. And we'll kind of wrap up with this one. Was um. We talked about Profinet, Profibus, Profisafe, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. How much involvement of that do you have um, in your line of work? Do you, do you get to kind of deal with most of the actual, uh, I guess, the IoT protocols and the ones that work for automation over the wireless technology? Because I've had a lot of problems with it, trying to get it to um, work over, say, Wi-Fi. It's been a challenge, so to speak, in, in the industry that I work in. So I just I wanted to ask you. If- there, uh, very little interaction in the grand scheme of things. Um, right. And my hesitation to try to push any of that across Wi-Fi is because of the latency values. Yeah. Um, you know, 802.11 just cannot get you down to that that 10 millisecond or less um, uh, a latency value that, that these things require. You know, um, and, and the last thing I want to do is, is screw with a wireless heart system that needs this data at that specific time with that low latency value. Because, you know, if you delay it too much, Depending on the process, I mean, you could really screw something up. Uh, I mean, for you would you would hope the safety systems would shut it down in time, or you know, yeah. or it would just stop working as opposed to doing something stupid. But um, like I said, I, I'm I'm hesitant to push that across straight Wi-Fi um, uh, unless I have radios that are guaranteed that I can get that those low latency values. And the ones that I have seen that can provide that are not 802.11; they're proprietary protocols. So in terms of um, any type of um, current vendor market, right? So we're talking about the Cisco's, we're talking about the Rubers and, and I don't know, Mist or whoever else is out there. Um, working with those kind of products, um, do you find any of them really work with work well with any of the existing industrial protocols or do you find that they're just good at what they do, which is to kind of serve the purpose of just pushing high throughput um, latency applications is not really what you want to push over Wi-Fi using certain vendors because they just can't do it. Not because they can't do it. It's probably because of the protocol limitations, listen for full it's, talk, it's the that kind of stuff, right? Themselves because when yeah. you look at it in the grand scheme of things, hardware-wise, there's not a whole lot of difference between most of these APs. It's all what's on the back end, you know, um, because the, the standard is the standard is the standard that they're all building to. Um, but it's interesting. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Cisco and, and whatnot because Cisco partnered with Rockwell for this full plant, plant-wide solution, right? You know, um, uh, Siemens has their own uh, wireless, their Scalance series, which is all, all pretty high-end stuff. But they've also, a pro, uh, they've partnered with uh, Aruba Networks. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize that until uh, probably two or three months ago when I was looking up some stuff for a different project and I was like, I'll be damned. Uh, Cause I was curious cause I, I use, I, I, I do happen to like Aruba. So I use a fair amount of it. Um, I use a lot of their outdoor radios um, because they, they just work well for, for a lot of certain projects and their IAP series. Cause you don't have to have a controller for them. Um, and I was like, well, it'd be interesting. Um, and I was, cause I was looking up 
what kind of radios they actually had that were um, industrial rated, you know, what their IP66 ratings, you know, if they were, they had IP60 some odd rating or whatnot. And they did have a couple. And then I ran across an article that Aruba had partnered with um, uh, Siemens for their plant wide solution. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. It, it didn't make much sense to me though, because I know Siemens has this whole investment in their own wireless, the Scalant series. And um, after digging a little further, I saw that uh, they're not necessarily using the Aruba access points. They're using some of the switching infrastructure um, and they're using the, the, the backend uh, stuff like uh, ClearPass and Airwave, um, you know, and, and ClearPass is some of the best um, access control software I've ever dealt with. It, it beats the hell out of Cisco ice, but um, you know, it, it was just interesting to see that kind of convergence on, on who's partnering with who, to to see what they can do for you know the the plant wide infrastructure. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I I didn't realize that Aruba were actually paired with um with with Siemens. Um, obviously, I've worked with um, uh, Scalant switches and, and a lot of the Profinet stuff with the Cisco product. One of the things that um, I found really interesting when actually researching and, and asking the questions about well, what does Siemens recommend in terms of their preferred wireless communication? And actually, they they actually have a solution to actually make sure they can guarantee the kind of eight millisecond latency over Wi-Fi um, using 802.11. And I was like, okay, well, what, it, what is that? And they said, well, we use um, PCF. So they don't use DCF, mm -hmm. they use PCF. PCF is something that they've never taught you. It's CWMP about, about um, this one kind of function of you know, transmitting um, 802.11 frames. So the Siemens solution uses PCF, which is pretty much... Um, Oh God, what's it called? It's called um, uh, point coordinate. Oh, is it called point coordinated function? I can't remember. Do you know what? I've been drinking clearly, so um, I'm forgetting shit. So, uh, so they're using this solution. Um, Siemens are using PCF <laughs> solution to be able to provide right. low latency uh, industrial communications using Profinet protocols or any other industrial protocols that you want to use to communicate between an I/O and a PLC device. And that kind of stuff is quite fascinating, but it's very much um, there if anybody wants to use it it's just that Siemens developed it and said we don't think that this kind of DCF process of kind of waiting to understand is anybody else talking can I talk we've, we've kind of almost I guess said I think I don't know if PCF is more a case of, I guess a, a way of dictating that someone is in control of the communication as in you talk when I tell you to talk and there's someone providing that central control, I, I guess is the best way to understand it. But again, we've never really been taught this because there's never been a requirement to. So these are the right. kind of things that are out there and it's very much interesting that there's so much to learn about industrial uh, right. wireless from a, from a whole and, and using the term wireless generally, because there's just so much to understand and it isn't literally a case of 811 is, oh, yeah. is, is one flavor. There's actually other flavors of it. And it's quite fascinating to understand that there are actually other vendors out there doing all these types of solutions. And uh, running it over Cisco, Cisco don't support PCF in any of their products, so they have to use the DCF, you know, uh, process. So that that's pretty much what's built in. Um, whereas Siemens, yeah, it's interesting though if if they will have Aruba products come out and enable, I guess, a, a button that says enable PCF functionality to be able to communicate for that type of, yeah, that that's. That's why I'm curious because you've mentioned it. Yeah, um, that that's a that's an interesting question. That is an interesting question. You know, the the 
you know, I work in it every day and, and, um, every day I learn new things and, and it just makes me realize, you know, the more I learn that how, the more I realize how much I don't know, you know, and I've been doing this shit for 15 years. So, um, it's just, it's incredible. Right. I'm going to call it, I think it's uh, time for me to go to bed. It's late. Um, but thank you, Scott. I do appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. I hope you had fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I hope uh, I hope I can come back sometime oh. later on when we have like a bunch of on and, and just drink and talk. Absolutely. I think uh, I think it's a shame that Dan and Christian missed out because um, I think Ryan took it too seriously. I think he was like you know straight in there with like you know he got a little serious. But then again, he wasn't on last week and he's got a lot to make up for. So um, yeah, bless him. And he may not have had a great day. So, you know, he might have been on a more serious vibe. Yeah. Well, I didn't see him drinking his rum and coke much, did you? No. Yeah, I didn't see him hitting that much. No I think he had other things going on. I think he was just playing to the crowd. <laughs> he, was just... <laughs> he was He was having a coke and coke. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is, a, which is a coke with more coke poured in on top of it. Sometimes with ice, sometimes not. Yeah.